Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, your emails, radio at agphd.com. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother, Brian, and Farmer Friday is always fun. I can't believe it's Friday already this week, though, Brian. It went really fast. Well, yeah, we had a lot of stuff going on this week. We had a soybean workshop. We had a naturals workshop. Yesterday, I was out doing a couple of meetings in central South Dakota, and I wanted to start the show today. It is Farmer Friday. I'm a farmer, and as a farmer, I get a little frustrated because there's a lot of horrible information out there. So here's one of the things that's come out just over the last couple of weeks. There, uh, New York Times put out this video called Meet the People Getting Paid to Kill Our Planet. Well, guess who they're talking about? Farmers. I'm like, are people really stupid enough to believe that kind of nonsense? There's also something that came out this week that it said that gasoline was better for the environment than ethanol. And there are people actually running with this and believing this and talking about it. I'm like, oh my goodness, people are dumb and gullible. So anyway, there are a couple of things that just so we're clear on this. What what a lot of people are talking about right now is tillage, fertilizer, and cows. So first of all, let's put the cow thing to rest. So methane from the burps of the cows are supposedly bad for the environment. Now, I mean, where is PETA when you actually need them? Why can't they step in for the rights of the cows? I mean, seriously. Of course, we'd have less carbon dioxide and we'd have less methane if we just killed all the animals and killed all the people. Well, that sounds great, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. It's an absolute nonsense. All right, now let's get to the, to the real things and, and talk about them. Number one is tillage. They, they, they talk about tillage and, oh, it releases carbon dioxide and that's bad for the planet. And that's, if you're going to raise corn, you have to do tillage and release all this carbon dioxide and then make the ethanol. Um, last time I checked, a good percentage of the corn raised in North America was not done with moldboard plowing like it was 30 or 40 years ago. So, Sure, we're going to release a tiny little bit of carbon dioxide when you no-till or strip-till or even some of the light minimum tillage that's done on a lot of corn acres. But remember that the corn brings in a ridiculous amount of carbon dioxide way more than the tiny little bit of tillage that's done is going to release. But they didn't talk about that, of course. The other thing is, biofuels like ethanol are the only ones that can actually be below zero on the carbon index scale. They didn't say that either. And you know how we get below zero on the carbon index scale? It's this, by building soil organic matter, which every single corn fa farmer on the planet can do while still producing a great amount of corn. It's awesome. All right, here's the next thing. When they talked about fertilizer, they're saying, oh, it creates all this nitrous oxide. Now, just understand, most of our atmosphere, most of what we breathe in for air is nitrogen. It's not oxygen. It's nitrogen. I, I'm, I don't know what the exact figure is off the top of my head, but it's something like 70% nitrogen is the air that we breathe. Okay, so if nitrogen goes up in the air, who cares? 
I agree, though, that nitrous oxide is worse than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. They say it's about 300 times worse. Okay, well, just because it's nitrogen, that does not mean that it's going to become nitrous oxide. Do you know where a lot of the nitrous oxide comes from? In poorly drained soils, saline soils, sodic soils. Why is that? Because those are the soils where we have denitrification. So, again, if it goes all the way to the finished good goods of denitrification, you end up with nitrogen going up in the air, no big deal. But in that process where denitrification is going to occur, there is a stage where it's going to form nitrous oxide. Now, if that's near the surface of the soil, then that could escape. And I agree that that would be worse than carbon dioxide. But you know what? We can fix all those poorly drained soils real easily with drain tile. So if anybody's give, ever giving you a hard time about drain tile, you just say, look, I'm trying to save the planet here, all right? I don't want nitrous oxide, and neither do you. It's 300 times worse as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And they say that in saline soils, the amount of nitrous oxide coming out is like 40 to 50 times more than a normal soil. Also, I just want you to think about this. If we don't do everything we can to raise great crops, just please don't forget that the soil every single year releases nitrogen. That's what it does. It was doing that way before we were here as human beings. Okay, And what happens is there's organic matter in the soil that mineralizes, and when it mineralizes, it releases nitrogen. Some of that nitrogen could very well become nitrous oxide. So I don't care if we just said, all farmers, you can't do anything, and we're just going to turn everything into grass. We're all going to starve. In the meantime, there's still going to be some nitrous oxide in the air. So you can't solve every last problem that there is. But what we can do by raising better crops, by pulling in more carbon dioxide, we can help all those people who believe that we need to have less carbon dioxide in, in, in the air. Now, let me leave you with one last fact. 40 million years ago on our planet, there was about four times the level of carbon dioxide as what we have today. Yes, you heard correctly. They, scientists now have been able to trace things going way back millions of years ago, and they say that 40 million years ago, we had four times the carbon dioxide we currently have on the planet today. You know, the planet seems to have survived through that, didn't it? And here we are today with one-fourth the amount of carbon dioxide, and people are losing their minds that we have slight increases in carbon dioxide, and oh my goodness, the planet's going to end. No, it's not. But whether you believe in the carbon dioxide thing and that we need to reduce it or not, here's the fact of the matter. Farmers have the solution. Farmers are not killing the planet. Farmers are saving the planet. What we do is we raise crops that pull in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. So ethanol is a great fuel. It, and it, by the way, you know, when they talk about, oh, gasoline's better for the environment, burn gasoline once and burn it right next to ethanol. Seriously, do it in a building, do it in a container, whatever, and you will see very quickly the amount of soot and the amount of pollution created by gasoline compared to ethanol. So anyway, farmers are doing a great job. I just like to throw that out there here as we start Farmer Friday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. 
Always read and follow label directions. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. If you have an agronomic question or want to talk about what's going on in your farm, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well. we got a number of emails to try and get through today. Radio at agphd.com. Let's start off down in Tennessee right now. we got Eddie on with us. Eddie, how's it going? Doing good. How about you, sir? You know, pretty good. We are like 50 degrees today in February in South Dakota. It's kind of nuts, but they say we might possibly get some snow. We have no snow right now. We might get some next week. So everybody's kind of trying to hustle and, and get anything outside they want to get done, done. Yeah, we're we're 71. Yesterday we were 70 and, and 20 degrees this morning. So it just stick around. It'll change it's that kind of year or that time of year so so what happens how how soon will people be doing things out in the fields in your area or are things already getting started out there scratching around or fertilizer apps or anything uh just the ones that's got wheat maybe top dressing and doing some spraying when we catch dry weather and and uh warm enough but uh as far as actually spring crops uh it'll be uh, first of April, probably before we get get doing. We're not that much ahead of anybody else. We hear stories of y'all, and we get anxious and wind up planting, and then we we wind up getting a late frost. I've had frost in May that dings up my corn. So it, it, you get burned a time or two. It's kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, like you say, that weather can turn in a hurry, and it only has to be bad for just a little bit to cause some problems. So that 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 definitely happens up here too, no doubt about that one. Uh, speaking about the the early planting this year, one of the things guys talk about a little further north from you is planting soybeans early, or even planting soybeans before they plant corn. Is there any of that down in Tennessee? Yeah, there's several doing that. I uh, I'm probably going to try some of that this year, and. Uh, uh, some of the guys that did it last year was successful, and uh, 
kind of advocate doing that a little more and, and uh, probably probably going to push other folks into doing some of that also. Yeah, the market price is pretty attractive right now on beans, and I don't know. I think some of these guys might end up putting a few more beans in the ground. What What's your take on that? Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm cutting back a third off of my corn, and it was more so for just the fertilizer availability and the price. And we uh, it, we bought everything at the end of the year, and that we was told if if we would buy it and pay for it and get it. Uh, they had it, and when that ran out, they weren't guaranteeing anything, so I was able to uh, procure everything that I needed from seed, chemicals, and fertilizer. It wasn't all the chemicals exactly like I wanted, but I got a recipe, you might say, that I hope is going to work all right, so maybe we can get through this year. I think that's exactly what we're hearing just about everywhere in the country. You know, I didn't get my first choice, but my agronomist assures me we'll be able to kill the weeds. So as long as the weeds die, I guess that that's a good thing. Well, getting it, they say we'll probably get it. But if you're going to get your chemical a month too late, uh, it's going to get ugly. But uh, hopefully we're going to have some, some chemicals that's uh, – going to take the place of some of the others was used to using and and be able to get through it anyway and put keep putting them layers of prees down and i've been doing that for several years uh y'all and and uh, other researchers have have kind of preached that and i kind of jumped on that before uh a lot of the locals around here saw that that's what we needed to be doing so i might be one step ahead of them i don't know well, it sure pays. I agree with you getting those pre's out there. And I, I would love it if I could do everything with one shot post. It just, the reality is that you can't. So, Hey, Eddie, it's great talking to you. I, I uh, am a little jealous. I have to admit of that 70 degree weather, but hopefully in a few months, maybe we'll get that up here too. I hope so. All right. Well, have a good day, Eddie. Thanks. All right. Wish you well. You bet. You as well. Uh, let's head down to Texas, another place that's probably warmer than we are today, although it's not bad. Uh, we got Wayne down in Texas. Wayne, how you doing? Good, thanks. You know, one of the tough things in Texas, though, is oftentimes that, that heat comes with dry. Are you guys dry right now, or how are things going where you're at? We're probably one of the few spots in the state that's got pretty good moisture. We had a good November and a good late January, so we're planting flowers today, so planting conditions are almost ideal. Yeah, you know, when you look at, at this time of year, I know there's some growers already getting started on some corn in Texas. Uh, you got a number of different crops. Do you find that diversity uh, a little bit challenging when you got all these markets and transportation and not exactly knowing what's going to happen, or do you have good local demand for a lot of the stuff you're growing? Right now we're transplanting watermelons planting sunflowers and we're knocking on the door of starting to harvest onions so we are running crazy right now that is fun that is fun i'm jealous we're we're uh, just working on equipment up here and hoping to be planting in a couple of months so uh you got a lot more fun job than we've got that that got boring uh, to, to tell you the truth so i'm glad to be in the field and and busy yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So what is the market like for some of these other crops? I, I know they've got a bid up for the acre, too, so you're getting good prices out of the onions right now? Onion market is really good. Um, 
you know, right now we're facing competition from Mexico, and with the market so good, a lot of those onions are staying in Mexico, so that's going to help when we start coming off. Uh, These sunflowers are contracted at really good prices. so all, all across the board, markets are up. We've got good conditions. So this is probably the most optimistic we've been this time of year in a while. So what goes in the ground after you get those onions harvested? Is that where you're putting the watermelons, or is that going in different fields? Different fields. Uh, if if we get these onions out, the early stuff, we could come back with cotton, uh, maybe milo or even sesame if we wanted to double crop it. Uh, but I, I can't commit to until we see where we're at. Don't yeah. want to stretch ourselves too thin. Well, harvesting onions in February, when do those go in the ground for you? We started planting mid-September. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I we, talked to some growers there that say, well, we've got to, we've got to uh, leave the ground lie, but you're finding a use for everything. Is it irrigation that allows you to do that, or just where you're at, you, you catch enough rains through those times to, to make everything work? No, that, that's on irrigated ground. Both watermelons and onions are on irrigated ground. And this year's been good, but I know a lot of guys, water's getting tight. Our reservoirs are low, so... Uh, we're going to need some rain here in late spring, summer. You bet. Uh, well, Wayne, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you. I know you're super busy right now, but, man, it's great to hear about somebody getting stuff done out in the field. So good luck to you and stay safe. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Uh, Brian, we had a question come in from Keith in Ohio, and uh, Keith said, I, I took my soil samples in the fall of 2019, and we're on a program of doing it every two years, so we should have gotten it done last fall. Unfortunately, weather and other things got in the way, and we just didn't get our soil samples pulled before the ground froze up. So wondering, should I sample this spring, or will I have to wait until next fall if I want to make a good comparison to my previous data? Well, as long as the sampling was done in the later fall most of the time, which I assume it was, you're probably fine. Where is he from again? Ohio. Yeah. So generally speaking, I'll just put it to you this way. If we're going to, if you in your area are going to soil sample shortly before freeze up in the fall or shortly after spring thaw, the, the soil is going to be about the same. Because think about it. What's really happening over the winter when it's frozen? Nothing. So you're going to be fine. If it was me, would I go out and sample in the spring? Yeah, I probably would. But by the same token, if I'm not going to use that data to fertilize with, then I might just wait until fall. The reason why we like pulling our samples in the fall is two things. Number one, I have all winter to look at the data. But two, and most importantly, We fertilize most of our ground in the fall with phosphorus, potassium, zinc, a lot of those nutrients, not a whole lot of nitrogen, but many of the other nutrients, and we use that data to fertilize with. So, like I say, if you're not going to use the data in the spring, I might wait till fall, but otherwise, the numbers should be about the same from last fall to this fall, or to this spring, I should say. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. It's Farmer Friday, so we're looking forward to talking with you at 844-44-AG-PHD. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Iowa. Got got Rick on with us right now. Rick, how's it going? It's going well. How about you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're getting fired up for this season. we got nice market prices, and, man, we got a good chance to actually make some money this year. So how about you? Yeah, you know, we're – it's it's interesting times we're dry i'm in central iowa and um you know i think soil moisture is going to become a critical issue and you know a week of rainy weather in april can change that but right now we're going to need moisture yeah yeah we're in the same boat we need moisture it sounds like we might catch a little bit of snow here coming up monday tuesday but i'd prefer to wait until that moisture is in a liquid form but maybe beggars can't be choosers right now that's exactly right. You don't have to scoop rain, but, uh, you know, you don't want to, you know, a hard two inch rain when the soil starts to get mellow either. But, uh, I, I think that's probably our biggest concern right now, you know, other than the obvious 
fertilizer prices and fuel prices and, you know, just chemical availability, all the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so last year we planted into dry soil, and we learned some lessons with that fluffy, powdery, dry soil. Uh, how about you? What were planting conditions like last year? And, and if it is really dry at planting time, how are you going to change things to adjust for that? Great question, and I, I would love to hear the answer. Uh, <laughs> we were we were dry last spring, but obviously not what you guys were. Um, you know, it was probably borderline perfect planting conditions until – towards the end of beans where it started to dry out and, you know, people had to put them in deeper, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope that's not what we're dealing with, but it could be, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. And it's going to vary a little bit as you go. We did end up planting a little deeper last year and, and that was a good thing. And I know it can go the other way on you too, if the conditions turned just the wrong way, but, uh, but but that was one thing that, that made a difference for us is getting just a little bit deeper in the ground. Have you got the planter all ready to go, or are you guys still doing some work there? You know, we're ready. You know, the biggest thing now, I laugh. It used to be we pulled the planter out, and we, we looked at the bearings and all that you still have to do. But now you pull it out, you kind of walk around it, and then you crawl up in the tractor and the monitor, and you spend two days getting that stuff put together. So um, we don't have a lot to do to it. We rebuilt it last year, so you know, just getting things ready and maintenance and, you know, waiting for our time. So we kind of consider ourselves on the fringe areas of production where guys are willing to move acres around a lot to, to capture a market here or there. How about where you're at in central Iowa? It's kind of thought of as 50, 50 corn bean country. Do you guys keep their rotation this year or are these markets influencing a little bit of a change? You know, we are in an area where we are heavier corn, I'm going to say we're 60% corn, maybe a little more than that. Um, had a great fall. A lot of guys had got work done. A lot of anhydrous went on. I don't see a wild change in acres here. You know, I don't see people going to corn simply due to the price. I mean, it just costs a lot of money to put in a corn crop right now, a lot of money. Yeah, it does. And getting all the inputs in place in time is not guaranteed this year, which is really unusual. It just, I, I have never had that situation where you had money to spend and people say, well, no, I don't think we can get it. <laughs> Love to have your business, but I don't think we can get it. <laughs> yeah, it's you won't be able to just go down to your local supplier and say, hey, I'm going to switch 80 acres to beans and be guaranteed that your crop protection things will be there. It just it isn't that way this year. No, it's different. Okay, so one one last question for you. Speak about crop protection. What about rootworm? We we had all these reports, and and I know in our area, coming west from where you farm, there were a lot of rootworm last year. How about in your area? Did you see a lot of corn rootworm? We were above our normal levels. Um, we do some sticky traps. We weren't in the crazy areas as far as pressure, but it's there. Um, I don't think we've had the winter to kill a lot of them. Obviously, some rain in the spring can drown a lot of them larvae. Um, as of right now, you know, a guy's just going to have to really pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think we are too. It's You're right, it hasn't been cold yet, but it looks like next week <laughs> we got some cold temperatures coming through. So don't winter's not over yet. I don't, I don't know if you want to jinx it yet, Rick. No, we our snow is pretty well gone here. The fields are open, so if it does get cold, we will get some you know, get some frost in the ground, which is a great thing. Always like to see that. So 
know, we'll keep our fingers crossed. You bet. Well, good luck. You're heading into the spring, Rick. And if we get some rain, we'll send some your way too. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you. You bet. Let's head over to Ohio. Got Mark on with us right now. Mark, how's it going? Hey, it's great. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. We were just talking about rootworm. Did you guys see a big rootworm issue over in Ohio last year too? We did not. Or, you know, it's always there, but not nothing above threshold for us. Uh, I, I hate to say it wasn't economic, but, you know, it was, was relatively undetectable. So, you know, we didn't have to go out and do any corrective measures or anything like that. That is good. That is good. We need to save some money yeah. in the budget. There's plenty of things this year we've got to deal with, like uh, these yeah, fertilizer exactly. prices for sure. Oh, my goodness. What what are you going to do? What's your strategy on the fertilizer? Do you think you just have enough gross income with today's market prices to make it work, or are you having to, to be really judicious in how every dollar gets spent? Well, yeah, always on the second part, being the, ju- the judicious part, but I, I think really uh, good agronomics pay – year in and year out and, and we sure don't want to start and be in the mining business and uh you know with with prices being what they are we need to maximize yield um we did not get the lime on all the lime on we wanted to get on last fall so we're still planning to put some on the spring because we need to make sure every every piece of fertilizer we put out there we're getting a bang for our buck and uh we have some ph levels that need to be adjusted so we're hoping to uh invest a little money there to make sure our fertilizer dollars are hard at work Okay, so when you do lime in the spring like that, do you have to come with tillage in your area, or do you think you'll get enough moisture to get it moved down in? You know, I think we get enough moisture to move it down in. Now, you know, we start to move too late. Uh, honestly, we get busy enough that we won't have time to put the lime on anyway, but I still think if we get some nice conditions here where ground's slightly frozen, we'll fall out and we'll take that lime in, I think we'll get our lime value uh, somewhat immediately. And we can avoid that tillage, which we're trying to avoid all the time anyway. All right. I got I got two tough questions for you. First on corn, tar spot. Are you guys seeing it? And if not, are you preparing for it this year just to make sure it doesn't become a problem? We have not seen it. And, uh, we, you know, we're not making any corrective measures to prepare for it. And maybe, you know, I'm missing the boat. So with your question, maybe I need to do a little more research. But, <laughs> I'm not uh, trying we, to scare you, Mark. Not, not trying to scare well, you. Hey, you know what? We we flip over every stone to look underneath, so I think we need to be you know making sure we know what we don't know. But uh, at this point, we haven't had a concern and haven't really seen much issue about that in our area. Okay, uh, and then on soybeans, here's one that's always a challenge: How do you keep bean flowers? on we see so many flowers getting aborted and i know we hear a lot of different strategies whether it's plant growth hormones whether it's a fertility thing uh just doing everything you can to reduce stress uh what do you do to try and keep those bean flowers because you're always getting great soybean yields and at least in my opinion you're getting great soybean yields maybe you want even more but i know that flower abortion thing can really take away some yield it can, and you know, I, I think the I think the key is to reduce stress. And you know, I'm not sure there's a whole lot we can do that has economic viability to go out, and, like I said, spray on growth hormones, et cetera, year in and year out that work. I mean, you get times and spots where it does work, but I don't know that you know, by and large, you can just count on that. So anything you can do to reduce stress, and you know, that starts with fertility management. Uh, goodness, you know, on your your more arid soils. You know, maybe try to get some of that flowering done early if you can, maybe a little shorter season variety. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we're really focusing on uh, reducing the stress we can on those plants. And, and a lot of that stress, 
I can't control, right? You know, moisture, um, unless I have an irrigation pivot, uh, heat, I can't control. So you know, anything we can do under our control to make sure that plant is healthy and as stress-free as possible really is, the, I think, the key to keeping the flowers from aborting. Uh, it's certainly a big key to getting high yields, no doubt, no doubt about that. I uh, talk with Mark over in Ohio. Mark, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it today, and good luck as you get ready for spring. Thank you. Same to you. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Get a number of emails we'll get to here coming up after this break. Stay tuned. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to the West Coast. we got Jason with us right now in Oregon. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. We've had an above normal temperature kind of winter here, and and that's welcome. But Brian was just giving me the bad news that next week it's going to start getting cold. How about out in Oregon? Uh, it's actually been cooler than normal for us, um, but also dry. It's, it's been kind of an odd winter, um, above normal moisture up until about the first of the year. And then the spigot just got turned off. Okay. So I think in the last six weeks, I've had about three quarters of an inch and probably nine is closer to normal. Wow. Wow. Over that period of time. So. All right. So for the crops that you're raising, how is that going to impact things? Well, the odd thing is usually when it dries out like that, it gets, it's warm, but it's been cool and dry. So growth on things is behind. Um, I'm out here actually apparently killing the planet by putting nitrogen down. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The growth isn't quite where I want it to be for it, but, but to, you know, make hay when the sun's shining type situation here. Right. right. So um, I'm, I'm hoping things are things are doing okay hopefully we get our normal spring moisture otherwise we could have some trouble later on yeah when you have a winter like this uh are are you still raising wine grapes out there i'm just curious with some of those permanent crops does does that have a big impact in just survivability through the cold season uh no because everything pretty much shuts down uh you know and goes dormant so um it doesn't really affect the wine grapes too much for us. Uh, we're in the middle of pruning our stuff. Um, nothing changed yet. Uh, things will be a little bit behind, you know, the degree days just haven't been there. Um, but moisture wise, we're still okay. Okay. So for the spring, what is the first crop that you will plant on your farm this year? Well, I, for spring, for spring crops this year, I'll probably, uh, radish seed, and, you know, generally, if I get that in sometime between March and May, I'm fine. Um, there was some guys out planting stuff the other day, I'm going to assume was spring wheat. And uh, it's a little early, but the guys, that when it, when it takes this early, they, they get a real good crop on it. Um, I didn't have any to plant, and that's good because my drill still, still uh, tore apart in the shop. Okay, so uh, why? Just haven't had time to get it all fixed, or are you having trouble getting any of the parts? uh, I've actually got the parts for that. It's the combines that are also tore apart I'm working on getting parts for, uh, just because I know I don't need it yet. And then the weather turned off nice, so I got out in the fields doing some stuff. So just haven't gotten to it yet yeah there's always plenty of jobs there's that's one thing about farming <laughs> it's uh if if you need another job or something to do you just have to look around a little bit and and it'll pop up right well cool exactly you know we look at uh for our farm corn and soybeans are the markets we're tracking a lot how about for you with cover crop seed and and grass seed canola lots of different things out there uh are there some markets there that are really hot or are they are they all pretty good this year uh, everything looks really good this year, which is good because, you know, I get sticker shock. Like I said, I'm out here fertilizing and I looked at my account yesterday and the, and the, uh, 
the balance was about where it should be when I'm done and I'm halfway through. So yeah, the markets look great, but uh, it's all going to go away real fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting year. That's for sure. Uh, well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us a little bit today. Uh, good luck with the nitrogen application. Hopefully you guys catch some rain out there soon too. It looks like we might. So I thank you and have a great day. You bet. You as well. Uh, Brian, get a question that came in from Tyler, and he's over in northeast Iowa, and he sent in a manure analysis, and he said, I, I want to build soil fertility levels. I've got a farm that I just purchased recently, and we need to build up the fertility a long ways to match up to our other fields. We're going to be one-acre grid testing this fall. We've got CECs that vary anywhere from 10 up to 22. Phosphorus levels are uh, P1, 15 to 20. And potassium is only 100 parts per million uh, here at Northeast Iowa on this field, if you believe that. Uh, pH is good. Field's pattern tiled at 35-foot spacing. So that stuff's all looking good. And last year I raised 75 bushel beans and 260 bushel corn. What I'm wondering is about how much fertilizer I can safely put on this spring. And the reason I sent you the manure sample, I put on 3,500 gallons per acre of this hog manure, along with 300 pounds per acre of broadcast potash. Uh, this spring, what I'd like to do is put another 125 to 150 pounds of MAP on. And I also want to try a little test putting 1,000 to 1,300 pounds of potash MAP blend on just a small 10-acre strip to see what yep. it will do. Should be just fine. Yeah, mostly curious what you guys think about that. This is my first question, then I get another one in a second. Yeah, so it should be just fine. So 3,500 gallons. The thing that I always look at first on a manure test is how much salt is there per thousand. There's 102 pounds of salt per thousand. But fortunately, you're still only then at 350 pounds of salt. And the guideline that Midwest Labs always talks about is 500 pounds of salt per acre per year. So you're fine in that respect. In terms of the phosphorus too, what's available year one is only 15 pounds per thousand. So you take three and a half times 15. So you're just over 50 pounds there. That's not even enough to raise a good crop. So yeah, I mean, putting more phosphorus out this spring, perfectly fine with that. If you want to try a whole slug of P and K, I'm also fine with that. It's just always keep in mind, if you're going to put lots of P and K on more than crop removal, ideally, we like to put it down in the soil. If you lay it on the soil surface, and let's just say you lightly till it in or something, if you have erosion, you can lose that. So that's what we worry about. P and K do not move well in soil, especially the phosphorus. So if possible, I try to place them down a little bit deeper and you're a little better off. Their plan is to cultivate it in at four inches deep. That puts fertilizer. Yep. And that, see, that's what I'm talking about. That only puts the fertilizer down about two inches deep. To me, that's not deep enough. If you're going to go with massive rates. Now, well, if you're going with a normal rate that the crop's going to remove, that's no problem because it, it, a lot of that's going to get sucked up here in the next couple of three years. But if you're putting on five years worth of fertilizer, that's where I, yeah. And maybe the ground's perfectly flat and you don't have this risk of, of lots said of erosion. It's, said it's but, mostly flat. And low risk of water <laughs> yeah. erosion. There. Okay, okay. But still, ideally, if I'm putting a lot of fertilizer on, I'd just like to get it down a little deeper if you could. Okay, then his other question is, what would be the maximum rate of dry fertilizer that could be applied and incorporated in a year and still be safe to corn or soybeans? Just wondering about a 1,500 to 2,000-pound blend total of MAP and potash over the year uh, and tilling that in. Yeah, so it's really 
debatable. And the reason why I say that is because we don't know how much rain you're going to get in season. If you get lots of rain, you can put all kinds of stuff out there. If you don't get lots of rain, then the salt is just going to sit there and could potentially cause some problems for you. So I don't have a great answer. I can just tell you, though, that if you're putting on, in effect, what could be five, eight years worth of fertilizer, that means you have five to eight years worth of salt, and salt is really our big concern. Now, broadcasting it, tilling it in, that absolutely helps. It's a lot better than banding in terms of it spreads the salt out more than if you were to put it all in a concentrated band or something. But anyway, if I'm going to try that again, I'd probably try it on a smaller scale rather than a larger scale. But as I say that, we have done exactly what you're talking about on a massive scale on our farm several times over the years. Worst case scenario, you might have a one-year little decrease, or at least in spots, because of all the salt. And after that, as the salt goes away, then things should be good. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, had one come in from Tom that we'll get to uh, right after this break. And Tom's up in Edmonton. And he said, I know you guys talk a lot about one acre grid sampling. I'm an agronomist here in Alberta. Now, I'm wondering what kinds of tests you're running. Is it a complete analysis? You're running zero to six inch and so forth. And then also just wondering, how can I convince some of my customers to soil sample at all? That's been the challenge here, not... Uh, not doing small enough grids, just not sampling at all. All right, Tom, we'll get into that here right after this break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. 
Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, it's Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And just before the break, we got a question in from Tom, who's an agronomist up in the Edmonton, Alberta area. And he said, I've got a lot of growers that aren't pulling any soil tests at all. And you guys talk about doing one-acre grids, which would be great to get to. Uh, are you running zero to six? Are you running complete analysis for every acre? Uh, do you yes find it yes. cost prohibitive, and how do I convince growers to do it here, or at least do some testing? Okay. So as a lifelong farmer, what I have found almost every farmer gets excited about is saving money, right? So when it comes to fertilizer, that's the most expensive input on the farm today, and it's the biggest expense on most farms today. With soil testing, what we're trying to do is identify where we have excess amounts of fertilizer, where we have insufficient amounts of fertilizer, so we can better invest our fertilizer dollars. And usually, if you just pull samples on one field, one acre grids, and look at what the differences are, and then put dollars and cents to it to say, okay, let's say that we'd run our normal program like we always do. Here, here are our shortfalls. Here's where we're long. Here's the money wasted. Here's the money we should have spent and how we should have spent it and the yield gain it possibly would have, have, have helped us achieve. So those are generally speaking the things that I will go through with people. But you have to have them do something. If we're just going to speculate on stuff, then you can look at anybody else's, even neighbor's data. It doesn't mean as much as if it's your own. So I'd, I'd just say right now when fertilizer is at an all-time high price, now's the best time ever to do soil testing. And, yes, it costs a little bit of money. Okay, so we're running a Malik 3 test out of Midwest Labs in Omaha, Nebraska. Costs roughly, I don't know, 10 or 12 bucks a piece. So, yeah, it's expensive, but you don't have to do it every year. Let's say you did it once every, once every other year, once every four years even. The average is not that much. Now, for us, I mean, we're going for fairly high yield. So on corn, we, we should be grossing over $1,000 an acre, and on soybeans, probably seven or $800 an acre. So I get it that, you know, it's more dollars than you're going to be talking about in your ground up there. But nevertheless, you got to do some soil testing so you figure out how do I need to fertilize and what should I do going forward? Now, once you get those results, too, you can basically every year kind of figure out, all right, what did I take out of the soil based on yield? 
and what am I applying. So you should be able to use those soil tests, like I say, for a while, at least a couple years, if not even up to four years. For us, we're pulling a lot of data every year, more than anything. It's not necessarily this enormous help on our farm if I'm going to do it every single year on one acre grids, but it's nice for us here at Ag PhD because then we have a lot more data that we can share with you. I also will often tell people, look, if you're going to make dramatic changes to ground, like let's say you're doing a whole bunch of liming, or you're putting on a bunch of elemental sulfur, or you're putting on big time rates of P and K or whatever to try to build the soil up, then you want to maybe test a little bit more often. If you're just doing a standard, normal kind of program, testing occasionally is just fine. But yes, I get it. Most people do not soil test. They don't use complete analysis. They don't use small grids or zones. And I just think there's too much money at stake, too much money we can lose. And also for the environmental factor, we need to test more often. That's my opinion. All right. Thanks for the question. really appreciate that. I got this one in from RTP who said P and K, you guys always say, are immobile in the soil and pretty much stay where you put them. So my question here is, does that statement hold true with dry fertilizer and liquid fertilizer? Yes. What if the ground is dry and you're putting on a liquid phosphorus okay. product? Does that change anything? Nope. Will it... Okay. That was yeah. That was basically his thing. And he no. said, uh, "How about rain? Is that going to to change anything too?" No. No. It it really binds pretty tight to RTP. Yeah. Now, granted, if Let's say I'm dribbling on a liquid. I put on a ridiculously high rate. The ground's absolutely bone dry with enormous cracks in the ground. Uh, of course, I guess it'd really, quite frankly, be the same thing as dry. Let's say that it's with dry fertilizer. Let's say that your ground's so bone dry that you have cracks going down nine inches in the ground. Well, <laughs> then obviously anything you put out there, I don't care if it's liquid, dry, whatever, it's going to drop to the bottom of that, or at least some of it's going to drop to the bottom of that. But once it's there and once it's attached itself to soil, it's done. It's especially phosphorus. It is immobile in soil. Now, occasionally we'll talk to some people and say, well, that's not true. And we're seeing leaching of phosphorus. And I go, well, wait a second here. What, what kind of levels are you at in the soil? Well, a lot of times where we see this leaching of phosphorus, it's 500 or especially 1,000 or 2,000 parts per million. So way higher than is necessary to raise a great crop. And that usually indicates to me it was not a farmer putting on commercial fertilizer. It was a livestock person trying to get rid of manure. So fertilizer, whether it's in the commercial form or in the manure form, is tremendous plant food. We just want to use it with caution, use it modestly, and be careful what kind of levels we're building up to. Otherwise, sure, we can have problems with anything. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this one in from Brian over in Pennsylvania. He said, I just read an article that you wrote about dialing in your nitrogen rate for the year. So here's the numbers that you used. I want to ask you some questions. You had 136 pounds of nitrogen left over, and then you picked up another 100 to 150 pounds from organic matter. Okay. Giving you a total of 236 to 286 pounds of N. Yep. I'm wondering if you took a small section of that field and only applied a small amount of additional N and if that made a difference on yield or if you did some studies to, to see if that data was right. Okay. So when we have data, we have to assume it's right 
if we've polled the test correctly and if we're working with a lab where we actually trust the data. So I believe that we have 136 left. I also know that we have pretty good levels of organic matter in our soil because we've tested it many times. So yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with we're going to have 236 to 286 out there. But there are two things we haven't taken into account. Number one is loss. Are we going to lose any from leaching? I, you know, that I don't know. And the second thing is, are we going to test again? Yes. Yes, we're definitely going to test again. I, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go into next summer just assuming I'm going to have no loss. I believe that these figures will be true. But let's not forget that organic matter isn't there instantly. That's spread out from like in our area, basically, let's call it May all the way through October. So that's when that nitrogen's going to come available. Well, if I need it earlier in the season, then I'm in trouble if it's not there. So what I'm saying is we aren't going to put any more nitrogen out knowing that we've got all this out there. But what we're going to do is do a pre-sidrous nitrate test about a week or 10 days before we would normally side dress corn. And at that point, we'll see, all right, what do we have for nitrogen right then? Maybe we've lost some, maybe we haven't, maybe it's there, and, and if so, great, and I don't have to apply more. But if we run our numbers and we say, ooh, that's probably not going to do it for our yield goal, even with the remaining organic matter mineralization that's going to come, then we'll just throw a little bit more out there. So to ask the question, will more nitrogen pay or not, it all depends on how much loss we're going to have, number one, and number two, what is our yield goal, or I should, let's see, let me try to re try to phrase this properly if nitrogen is our limiting factor do we have enough nitrogen to hit that next yield level so chances are it's going to be something else that's limiting our yield whether that's water or it's some other nutrient or maybe it's disease or insects or just something else so i'm just trying to say i don't know for sure how much nitrogen i need because i don't know really what i can achieve for yield but i'm going to have a better idea next summer and that's when we'll test again and by the way just simple nitrate tests they only cost five bucks so it's very inexpensive all right. Uh, this question came in from Brandon, and he said, Hey, guys, I see that you talk about micro 1000 from AgroLiquid now as your micronutrient choice over micro 500, which they marketed for years. I'm wondering in which scenario would one be better than the other? Uh, I'm curious about corn and soybeans. Uh, so basically, micro 1000 has got 10 micronutrients instead of just the boron. Well, 10 copper. nutrients. 10 yeah. nutrients. Yeah, yes. instead of just boron, copper, zinc, manganese, and uh, iron. Yeah, so I just look at, hey, do I need some of those other nutrients or do I not? And it's really as simple as that. And if you say, well, I don't know if I need them, well, then you might want to do some testing and find out, do I have a need for some of those other nutrients? Um, it's certainly worth a try if you just want to take a take a guess, to give it a try without any soil testing, you certainly can. But for a more educated answer, I just look to soil testing. Thanks for the question and thanks for... And thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.